appreciate the opportunity to uh, uh, preach here. Uh, Pastor Allen asked me, uh, probably a month ago, I guess, anyways, if I would cover, and I said I'd be willing to. And uh, uh, he said the first Sunday or last Sunday of the two, and I said, well, I'll take the last one. And I didn't really look to see what that date was. <clears throat> it's Halloween, so what are you going to do with that? You know, there's so much controversy around Halloween. And <clears throat> when I was a pastor, that was a good one to get in a, a speaker for, you know, on Halloween. <laughs> that one on Mother's Day. I love to give that to somebody else because, you know. But anyway, here we are. And uh, so I had to look up online to see what Reformation Sunday is all about because I hadn't really uh, looked into that too much. So I got a little bit of information about that. And so that's what we're celebrating of sorts today. Uh, Reformation, Reformation Sunday, that's when Martin Luther went up and nailed these 95 theses on the door of the church. And it was basically taking a stand against the Catholic Church for selling indulgences. You know, and I used to wonder, what is that? You know, and basically, if you did some sort of sin and you went and confessed it to the priest, why well, he would take care of it if you just send, give him some money. As you can imagine, that was probably quite a lucrative arrangement, you know, <laughs> because we are all sinners, so you can't lose on that deal. So that's what uh, was about, and it, it, selling indulgences and also to take a stand on the Bible as being the final authority. Now, there are many within the church that felt that the church fathers and the traditions and so forth, uh, they had the final say in, in how we ought to live. But uh, Martin Luther took a stand that says we ought to follow Scripture. That should be the final authority. And so in one of the key passages that directed him that way, was in John chapter 8, verse 32. And I thought of that as we were singing this last song. Uh, John 8, 32 says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And those within the Catholic Church at that time really didn't feel free. They felt they were encumbered by a whole lot of rules and regulations and uh, things that they ought to do and not, not to do and so forth. And so that was kind of uh, Martin Luther's... Uh, go-to verse for his stand uh, in the Christian faith. So today we're going to be looking at a passage that is also very critical to these thoughts, and that is in Romans in chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, uh, open it up. Romans in chapter 5, and uh, I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version, so it may differ a little bit if you have an ESV or NIV or NASB or any of them Bs along there. You may I may have to follow along a little differently, but I am the New King James. Um, I, my wife asked me this morning if I was going to preach from the ESV, and I said, no, I forgot about that, because I got all my notes in the New King James. So anyway, so that's where we go. Um, we're in the New King James, again, Romans in chapter 5, and beginning in verse 1. And uh, it says here, let's stand as we sing, as, sing, as we uh, read God's word this morning, just to uh, honor his words. Romans in chapter uh, 5 and verse 1, just follow along as I read. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also you have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, 
but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's begin with prayer. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings you have given to us in this life and the promises of, of great rewards and blessings in the future that we can, uh, truly, we cannot even begin to imagine. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us and your patience with us. Again, Lord, I ask your Holy Spirit to teach us this morning, open our hearts and minds to the truth that is here, and help us to truly worship and glorify you in all things that we say and do this day. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title of the message gets you kind of prepared for Thanksgiving Day, I guess, but thank you, Jesus. You often hear the story about high school graduations and the kids are going through the line getting their diplomas and, you know, they here's a little spatter of clapping for this one and a little spattering and clapping for this one. And, and then there's a young man that comes through and he really struggled in the school and he comes up and gets his diploma and as soon as he gets his diploma there's a shout in the back thank you jesus because <laughs> you know? uh, the mother recognizes that it wouldn't have been for jesus he'd never got through school <laughs> so a lot of fervent and earnest prayer and when we look at our lives compared to what demand what god demands of us he demands us to be perfect that we are to be without sin, that we are to never stumble in the things and the ways of God. I think, to me, one of the most convicting verses in all of Scripture is James 2.10, where it says, if we stumble in one point, if we stumble, we didn't even plan it or think about it, if we stumble in one point, we're guilty of breaking the whole law. How's that going for you? I think we all fall short, as Scripture tells us. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of what he would have us to do. And so we have to look to Jesus to make the way plain for us, to provide the way of salvation. As Jesus said himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way. And so God wants us to realize what he has done for us. And truthfully, we spend the rest of our lives figuring out what he did. And that's where we're at. I've been in ministry a little over 30 years now. And I'm still learning stuff 
I, you know, I got to the point now where I'm finding out stuff that I didn't know I didn't know, you know, that kind of a thing. And there's so much of it that we never really come to an understanding of. And uh, I used to think when I first went into ministry after I got out of Bible college, well, if I have any questions, I'll just open up a couple commentaries and these wise scholars will give me all the answers. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes they are definitely helpful. Uh, this past week, uh, well, Saturday, when I, yesterday, when I gave the message there, uh, I was, had a particular passage I felt the Lord leading me to, and I looked at two commentaries, and they agreed with what I thought it said. I says, okay, we'll go with that. I developed a sermon. I says, well, I'm going to look at a couple other commentaries and get their input and kind of, you know, build it up a little bit. They disagreed with what I read in the first two commentaries. It was a different emphasis that they took. And I think it could be preached and taught either way, that both were bringing glory to God, just different emphasis. Well, as we look at the passage here today in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, thank you, Jesus, for justification. An old, old-fashioned uh, definition of justification is just as if you had never sinned. That's what God gives to us. That's what Jesus gives to us. It's just as if we had never sinned because there's only one that lived here on this earth that went through his whole life and never sinned, and that was Jesus. And he is willing to share his justification, if you will, that he provides for us. And that's what we see in this passage here. Having been justified by faith, it's not anything we did it's simply that we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. That's the justification. It comes to us by faith. And we have peace with God. We have peace with God. We're no longer locking horns with God and arguing about how good we are and how better we are than our neighbors. We're simply receiving the free gift of justification and salvation through Christ. And that's what he wants us to hear. So there's no longer that conflict, but there is a peace. As Paul writes, there is a peace that passes all understanding. And we see that in Philippians. So thank Jesus for justification. It was given to us faithfully by our faith. It is received peacefully, if we will, because God gives us a peace when he put our faith in him. It is also given graciously because none of us can earn it. Grace is, is a favor given to us that we didn't earn. And so that's what justification is. That is everything we have that comes from Christ uh, is done graciously. It also says here, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We are standing in grace, standing in that position of grace before uh, Jesus Christ and rejoice. In the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, Peter writes that we ought to be ready to give an answer at any time and any moment to the hope that is within us. I've kind of coined the phrase, I probably copied it from somebody that was more educated than me, but uh, the word hope in Scripture in this context refers to confident expectation. It's not wishful thinking. It's confident expectation. God said it. That settles it. It's going to happen. 
Jesus said these things are true, and we know them to be true as we live out our life before him. So there is that confident expectation. And so there's a joy of looking forward to the hope that is in the glory of God. A hope that we can only begin to understand in this life. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think, that's what Paul writes in Ephesians, that God is providing for us. And I have no doubt that God is giving to us right today things that we don't even recognize or understand. He's giving us free gifts along the way and preparing a way for us to walk in his uh, strength and in his power. So thank you, Jesus, for justification that comes to us faithfully, peacefully, graciously, joyfully, confidently of that confident expectation and gloriously. That justification is going to get us into heaven because Jesus paid it all, as the old hymn says. Jesus paid it all. There's nothing more that we need to add. Some people, I've been in discussions where people say, well, after you get saved, then you've got to be baptized and join the church, and you've got to get involved in church. Those are all very good things, none of which guarantees you entrance into heaven. The first thing is salvation, putting our faith and trust in him. The works we ought to do out of a sense of gratitude for what God has given what a glorious God. Nobody else can give us the promise of heaven except God himself through Jesus Christ, his son. That's the only way. We can't earn it. We can't do enough good deeds to gain entrance into heaven. There's just no way. And so here we are justified through Christ by faith, by faith in what he has done. Then in verses 3 through 5, there is an anticipation or an expectation here, if you will. Thank you for that, because God gives us that hope. And I love this phrase because it's repeated, at least the thought, the actual words repeated twice in the New King James here uh, in the passage, but also uh, it's repeated one more time that's very similar in verse 9. Verse 3 it says, and not only that, verse 9 says, much more than... And verse 11 says, and not only that, and I was reading that, it says, <laughs> sounds like going to a used car salesman. You know, you go and buy the car, and hey, it's a nice blue color, and it's got, got power seats. And not only that, it's got power windows. And for another $10,000, we'll put an engine and a transmission in it. How about that? <laughs> There's much more. But that's what it is with, with salvation. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've come to the realization that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and Jesus is the only way. He is the only one. But as we begin to grow in the faith, we begin to learn so much more about our Lord and Savior, so much more about our Christian faith that gives us that great passion and excitement to live for Him. As Ken mentioned, uh, I retired uh, back in 2019, and I'd had some knee... First time I came to this church, I came with a walker because I just had a knee replaced. That was my second knee. You know, I'm thinking, you know, things are beginning to fall off and fall apart. You know, maybe it's time to hang it up. And so I said, well, I think it's time for, 
new blood to come in the church. I was serving a little church down in Lindley Community Church down there. Been there 17 years. And, and so I told the board, I think it's time for a new man. And, and so they began looking. And I figured it'd be a year, year and a half, and they'd find somebody. Uh, I told them that in November. The following October, they had a new guy in, and he preached his first sermon. <laughs> so it was a little faster than I had planned. But God had a plan for me as well. As I recovered from my uh, knee surgery, I began looking for churches, and the Lord led us to this church. It's not too far from where we live, and and I uh, felt that because my wife and I had been in ministry a number of years, that perhaps we we could lend some assistance along those lines uh, as far as church growth and, and understanding and so forth. So that's how the Lord has led us here. But there's so much more that we can learn. God gave me the opportunity to preach at a, several different churches, and one of them was a Curtis Baptist Bible Church out there, and that's where they ended up calling me for the intern pastor. I figured six months to a year, well, it's been whatever, a year in, a year in July, and we're still there. Uh, and I don't know if they're, when they're going to get somebody. That's, they're still looking, but... Well, the whole COVID thing threw everything out of whack, you know, and that, that a lot of people are a little skittish about moving and making changes in ministry. And so that has added to some of the issues there. But God has given us justification, but also in verse uh, 3 it says, and not only that, but there's more. That's not all. There's something more behind that. It's not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Okay, I'll see a raise of hands. How many of you uh, gloried in your last tribulation, huh? Huh? <laughs> well, Paul's writing this, and certainly he'd been involved in tribulations and persecutions. What's he talking about here? Well, he explains. Not only that, but we glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance... Character, and character, hope. So when our kids come up to us and they start complaining about how hard they've got it, tell them it builds character. <laughs> it builds character. And you've got a, got a uh, chapter and verse for it right here now. Perseverance, it builds character, and character builds hope. That's what the world needs more than anything else. I once heard a Preachers say that if you preach on hope, you'll never be without a congregation because everybody's looking for hope. They're looking for something, someone to put their hope in. in. And we know God's word tells us that our hope is in Christ. And that's what he tells us. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. As we go through trials and tribulations, it develops and it, it brings out perseverance. Some of you know our story. Uh, we have three sons. Our second son is in heaven. Uh, he passed away when he was 36. And we went through a lot of tribulations with him. Uh, he had a graduated valedictorian of his class. Uh, he got a scholarship to American University. And uh, he got his master's degree in philosophy. As you can imagine, my theology and his philosophy was some kind of knockheads. But that was uh, interesting. It kind of trained me to think things differently. But 
perseverance going through those difficult times. Sometimes my wife and I go through some old pictures and we'll see something and it brings back a memory and you say, man, how did we ever get through that? Well, because we held on to each other and together we held on to the Lord. Uh, he gave us the strength. And it's always been difficult uh, from that standpoint. And many of you are going through trials and difficulties, whether it's a sick child or sick parents or, or some kind of financial struggle. Um, while I was in Bible college, they came and, and uh, closed out our checking account twice because I didn't pay taxes. For the simple reason I didn't have money to pay the taxes. <laughs> when we sold our dairy farm, it looked like we had a great income. All that went to pay off the people we owed money to, and I had no money left for taxes. And so when I got to Bible school, I had $1,000 in our, in our uh, checking account, and uh, neither one of us had jobs. Uh, and so the Lord brought us through some real tribulations. But it produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character. Those that go through the struggles are the ones you want to follow after, that have gone through, had some trials and difficulties, and developed character because of it. I used to play football in high school, and I remember there were some guys that were pretty big, and they wanted to play football, and they wanted to show up on game day and play football. And the coach says, no, you've got to, got to come to practice. You've got to earn your right to get on there. And they said, well, they don't have to. Well, uh, they didn't get to play football. I got to play football because I showed up for the practice. Because there's so much you need to learn. It's not just hitting other people. There's rights and wrong ways of doing it. But anyway, God gives us through the tribulations. He builds our perseverance, and in the perseverance, we develop a character. I like to try to develop what I call the no matter what character. It's no matter what. It's kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that were in the fiery furnace. And they basically said, no matter what, if you throw us into that furnace, we die, we die. But God can bring us out of that furnace if he so chooses. Or God may come with us in that furnace. We don't know. But no matter what, we are not going to worship anything but the one true God, no matter what. And that's what perseverance and character develops as a no matter what kind of a theology, if you will that we're going to stick to and believe in and trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ no matter what. We're not going to back down. Yes, there's things we've got to learn. We're not going to do it perfectly. But no matter what, we're going to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that's what tribulations and persecutions bring about into our lives. Tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. Now, there's some of us that have hoped in things that did disappoint. But the hope in God does not disappoint. I remember hoping one time that I would get a, a motorcycle, a BSA 441 Victor Special. Yeah, baby. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one lung, baby. You know, you put that name. It was great, great. I remember pulling into the Dairy Queen back in the day, uh, ice cream place where, you know, kids my age hang out, late teens, early 20s. 
I come in there, black leather jacket, if you can picture this, gold flaked metal helmet, black boots, you know, and I come in there and I rum, bum, 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 and I shut her down and just coast to a stop, reach out with my foot and just kick down the kickstand, and then I'm just going to pop over like this. Here I am. I pull in, rev it up, reach down with the kickstand, kick it down, shut the engine off, boom, pop, and our kickstand goes skidding across the driveway, and I fell over. <laughs> Grand entrance, you know. <laughs> my, uh, my hope was realized I had a motorcycle, but I didn't know much about it, and I had a lot to learn. <laughs> but the hope that we have in Christ is not to be lost. God will show himself to be true when we hang in there with him. And God has always been. God, does, a hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We operate as believers through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we start operating on our own strength, that's when we get in trouble. I've often told my wife, it's, I get in the most trouble when I start making assumptions. <laughs> I, I assume they're going to show up and do their part, you know, and when I begin to make that assumption, uh, a lot of times things fall apart. But when we put our faith in the Holy Spirit and we pray and communicate with him on a regular basis, you know, Lord, help me to know what to say and how to say it. And Lord, give me strength. Yesterday, I did a lot of praying before, during, and after the memorial service that I led. Because there was probably, oh, 50, 60 people in the congregation. And maybe one or two that were actual believers. But most of the family did not know Christ. And it's one of those situations where, you know, the Lord could use you mightily or you could mess up royally. <laughs> and so I get a lot of earnest, fervent prayer before, during, and after that message. I don't know. God only knows how he used that message. I don't know. But we have to trust in him that he'll use it for his honor and for his glory. But it's the Holy Spirit that directs our path. And we need to be sensitive to that leading, that prodding, if you will, in our lives to draw us closer to him. So thank you, Jesus, for justification and for the expectation that God is going to be with us through our problems, with perseverance, with poise, character, and with passion, that confident expectation of the Holy Spirit working within us. Then in verses 6 through 9, thank you, Jesus, for our salvation. That's pretty Basic here, but it reminds us again, as Paul does oftentimes, he repeats, and just using different words, it says, For when we were still without strength, in other words, the Holy Spirit wasn't in us, we were not saved. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. He died for us. For scarcely for a righteous man will some die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, none of us have 
earned a relationship with Jesus Christ. None of us have been justified in our own acts and attitudes. We've all got areas in our lives that need to be worked on. But Jesus died for us before we even knew who Jesus was. He died for us before we were born. He paid the price for your sin and for my sin, for all the sin of all humanity. But not everyone's going to be saved because only those that humble themselves before a holy and almighty God and say, I can't be sinless. I can't be perfect on my own. I need someone, something to put my faith in. And when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have that salvation. Paul writes that there was a prisoner, and actually it was a jailer, uh, one in charge of the prison, and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It doesn't get much simpler than that. But you've got to be genuine and real. It's not the words that are going to get you into heaven. It's the heart and the attitude and the understanding. Believe. Put your faith in. And for us as a people, as human beings, we struggle with that because we have pride in us. Pride shows up in every area of our lives. And we want to get to heaven like Frank Sinatra says, I did it my way. <laughs> I didn't need Jesus. I did it my way. Well, I don't know about Frank Sinatra, but if that's his attitude and how he lived his life, it's not going to work. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. There is no other way except by putting our faith and trust in Jesus. And that means we have to humble ourselves before him and admit that we are a sinner. When I worked at IBM manufacturing for a while, there was a, one of my co-workers there, and we got talking one time during break, and he says, yeah, I used to play softball for this Baptist church outside of uh, Binghamton. And he says, I played for him one game, and says, in order to play the second game, I had to come to church. I said, I wasn't too keen on that, but I said, well, I like to play in baseball, so I went to church. He says, you know what? Those people talk to me like I was a sinner. And I says, praise God, you are. And I am too. We all are. He said, what's the point of that? I says, because you can't get to heaven unless you admit you're a sinner to a holy, almighty, all-powerful God. You can't get there on your own. I don't think he ever went back to church again. I pray for him every once in a while when he comes to mind. But God tells us here in Paul's writings, Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Perhaps a good man, some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The highest price that could possibly be paid. One and only Son of God died on the cross to pay for your sins. Our nation keeps talking about trillions and trillions of dollars in our budget and so forth. No matter how many trillions and trillions of dollars you've got, you can't pay your way to get into heaven. The only way to get into heaven is by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. 
Christ died for us. And here we see that thought again in verse 9, much more than, you know, the used car salesman, not only this, but that. Much more than, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So it's not only in this life do we have that relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit indwelling us to prompt us and direct us in a right way of living, but it says we also, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We are not going to face an eternity in hell, the wrath of God. We won't see that. We won't experience that. We'll be saved from wrath. Then verse 10, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The salvation that we see here is undeserved. We are ungodly. It's unexpected. Scarcely will a man die for someone else, but Jesus Christ died for all of us. Sinners, all of us that have fallen short. Salvation that is unwarranted. We were still sinners. We hadn't done anything for the Lord. I always loved when we get into discussions about uh, what you have to do to be saved and so forth. I love to go back to the thief on the cross. He didn't join the church. He wasn't baptized I doubt that he gave any money to the church or Christ's ministry. All he did was recognize that he was a sinner and that Jesus Christ is the Savior. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Nothing that that thief or that criminal did earned his way into heaven except the expression of faith in Jesus Christ. It's unwarranted. We're still sinners. Unprecedented. Christ is the only Son of God. There's no greater value than that. And it's unjustified on our part because we can't earn our way into heaven. It's only through Jesus Christ's finished work. Jesus paid it all. Without Jesus, we are without hope. There is a sinful world out there we're all a part of it. Sometimes I wish God would remove us from it, and he will someday. But right now, we have an obligation and a duty as believers to represent our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul calls us ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ. In other words, we are representing Jesus Christ to the world. And that's our responsibility. And God has given it to us when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. And the reconciliation that we see here. Thank you, Jesus, for that reconciliation. Before we knew Christ, we were at odds with God. We were enemies of God. Even though we may not have understood that, we were, because either you're for God or you're against God. You're not anywhere in between. It's one way or the other. And you need, like the prodigal son in Luke 15, you need to come to an end of ourselves. And give all to Christ. Put our complete faith in him. And that's difficult to do because we are a prideful people. We want to say, you know, I did it my way. I accomplished this. And God had to let me in. After all, look at all this. <laughs> no. God didn't have to do any of that. But he did because he loves us. And that is a thought that boggles the mind. How God can love us. 
even while we're still sinners, but God does. And sometimes, some of you that have little children and you have to bring that baby home for the first time. We had a, one of the couples in the church yesterday at the memorial service, they had a baby that was two weeks old at the service. Little tiny thing. I forget how small they are, but little tiny thing. And they were just so proud, and I'm thinking, that's wonderful. They're going to be good parents. But I'm thinking, what does that baby do for them? Nothing. You know, it eats, and it smells, and it messes up, and it spits up, and all those ugly things. And yet the parents keep loving it. Why is that? I think it gives us a little picture of how God loves us, even in our own sin. We, we're not pretty. But God loves us because he created us. We are made in his image, and he draws us to himself. Reconciliation was expensive because it involved the death of the only son of God, Jesus Christ. It's extensive, much more saved by his life, because Jesus not only provided salvation for us, he showed us how to live in this life. Uh, once in a while, we think we're getting close, and then we realize God brings us to an end of ourselves, and we realize we've still got so much more to learn. Reconciliation is expensive. It's extensive. Again, there's much more. It's exclusive. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. As he says here, verse 10, For when we are enemies, we are reconciled to God through the death of his Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We have been reconciled to God. That's a done deal. But it's also an ongoing deal, if you will, from the standpoint of sanctification. We are in a right position before God as we receive all the work that he has done on our behalf, and yet we still sin, and so we have to confess our sin, claim 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Every time we confess our sins and cleanse our lives before God, we are right before him. We are reconciled. We are sanctified before God. So reconciliation is expensive, extensive, exclusive, only God, and exhaustive. The reconciliation for all eternity is total. It's complete, never to be repeated. Jesus doesn't have to die on the cross again. Nobody else is going to have to die on the cross again. We have been reconciled when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and put our faith and trust in him. So as we look at this passage and are reminded again, thank you, Jesus, for justification that we could not do in ourselves. The expectation of the hope that is within us that helps us and draws us closer to you, of the salvation you have given to us, that we could not save ourselves. And then the reconciliation, we are brought together again with God, reconciled to him. And what a glorious future that God has prepared and planned for us. Thank you, Jesus. Let's close in prayer. 
Lord, we thank you so much for your love for us and your patience with us. We are a needy people, and Lord, as we look to uh, our lives and our spiritual maturity and our growth, we realize that there's so much more to learn, and yet, Lord, you are patient. Uh, some lessons we have to learn over and over again. Some, Lord, we can move on and take to heart and adapt and adjust our lives that we would be the kind of uh, fit and useful vessels for your service that you would have us to be. Help us, Lord, as we go through our lives this week to be in a constant attitude of gratitude, of thanking you, Lord, for all you have done and all you have promised to do in the future. All these things we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.